So, Paul is telling us how Abraham received salvation. And he's, uh, as I, is obvious, he's in the Old Testament and uh, exploring this great truth about salvation by faith alone. Goodness, he goes to the Old Testament? Yes, he does. And uh, that's one of the secrets we need to realize because we have so frequently misread the Old Testament thinking it's about law and the New Testament is about grace. But in fact, the, New, the Old Testament is a revelation of God's grace and that is fully uh, manifested in the New Testament in Jesus Christ. Now, as we talked about it yesterday, we looked at verse nine. Uh, blessed are uh, the uh, does not uh, blessedness then come upon the circumcised only, or upon the uncircumcised? In other words, Abraham was circumcised, but did that bring about his salvation? Was that his religious right that enabled him to become uh, saved and accounted as righteous by God? And Paul points out, no, not at all. He was counted righteous by God before he was circumcised. And of course, the circumcision issue is all about ritual, is about ceremonies, is about uh, the works of man, the contributions of human beings. Is that what makes people godly or rather saved? And the answer is no, it is not. God's love comes to us. God's grace comes to us in Jesus Christ. And we then become committed to God and do things for him that we would never have done otherwise because we realize his love for us. Now then, he says this, how then was it accounted? This is what we looked at last time, while he was circumcised or uncircumcised? In other words, how was righteousness or when was righteousness accounted to Abraham? It was before he was circumcised, not afterwards. Why is that important? Because he's showing us that God's salvation is, a, is brought about by a cause within him, not a cause within ourselves. Why is that important? Because so very often in temptation, when the chips are down and when we fail or when we're defeated and we just can't seem to pull through, um, we look for evidence within ourselves for salvation. But that is not where we look. We look to what God has done in Christ and what love he has shown to us. Now, verse 11 is intriguing. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised. Let's read that carefully again. He received the sign of circumcision... Okay, circumcision was a sign of something. What was it a sign of? A seal or a sign of the righteousness of faith which he had while still uncircumcised. Now, there's a bit of a paradox. He's circumcised, but what that circumcision tells him is that he was saved before he was circumcised. So, in other words, what we do for God and how we serve him and love him and obey him is a sign of our being saved before we served him and loved him and obeyed him. Now, that is so crucial 
when we realize that it is possible to take everything that human beings do for God and turn it and turn those things into a law. We start going to church, we start going to uh, Bible study groups, we read the scriptures in the morning, we pray. And originally we did all this because we realized that God loved us and saved us purely out of his own goodness. But after some months or years, we begin to we continue these things, and we start feeling guilty when we don't do them, when we sort of lapse and don't go to churches frequently, or when we um, don't read our Bible so often. And we feel guilty because we have gradually turned that response to God into our initiation of God's love. In other words, we think, well, I've stopped loving him now. I've stopped contributing to my salvation. I've stopped doing what's necessary in order to be saved. You see then that what we do as a result of being saved, we turn into a cause of being saved. Let's read the verse again then. He received the sign of circumcision, Paul did, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised. So when Paul cons when Abraham considers his circumcision, it reminds him not that he's doing the right thing in order to be saved. It reminds him of how gracious God was in saving him when he was a pure pagan and when he had no merits. Now, think of this in regard to your own life. So many who are working on loving God and walking with him, especially as they are coming out of addictions like drugs and alcohol and food issues and what have you, they find God, they discover that God loves them, and they are overwhelmed that God should love them even in their state of addiction, that God has not regarded any of their works um, as merit before him. And he says, you have been waiting f to overcome your addiction before coming to me, but I am coming to you in my love and my mercy, and I say, Jesus Christ, my Son, is your righteousness. Your overcoming your addiction is not your righteousness. And you say, oh, what an awesome thing. And you f are filled with joy and filled with a new confidence because God has picked you up even when you were wallowing in your mess, even when you were in total darkness. So you have joy. And that joy continues for way, maybe months or years, and gradually, because of it or through it, you start overcoming your addiction, say, to alcohol. And you put your alcohol aside, and you throw your drinks away, and you say, I now have God, I have joy in my heart for God, I don't need this artificial joy of alcohol. So you go on in the Christian life. But then some years later, or months or whatever it is, you start slipping back into drinking. 
and you're very, very troubled. You're very disturbed by it. You're nervous, and uh, you start drinking more and more, and then you you know that you must stop. You must overcome this thing. But why? Because if you don't, you won't be saved. So that's how your thinking goes. And what happens is that the alcohol recovery, which was a response to God's goodness, now has become a law which you must overcome in order to receive God's goodness all over again. See what happens. God's, the things that we do that have brought us, um, rather that we express to God because he has brought us such great joy, we now have turned into a law. And this is why it is so difficult so for many people to overcome an addiction because they have turned grace into a law. Well, what do we do then? We go back to where we started. We say to our Heavenly Father, Father, you saved me when I was down in the dumps. You saved me when the chips were down. You saved me when I was in my total gloom and darkness. Well, I'm here again, Lord, and I know you have saved me again. I will believe as I believed the first time with my first love, that without any works to my credit, without any sort of symbolic circumcision to my credit, I trusted in you because you gave me the good news of your Son and the faith to believe it. And so, even though I've gone back to my struggle with alcohol, I am still going to believe that your salvation for me is without any works, all generated by your love and your mercy towards me. And so, you see, you start again at that place where you knew God by faith alone. You knew his salvation by faith alone, without any works. And you continue to praise him, even though you're struggling with your alcohol. You continue to praise him that the victory is won. You say, how, Colin, can the victory be won if I'm still drinking? The victory is freedom from the guilt and the shame and the condemnation. You're back to where you were, freed from condemnation. You affirm it. Lord God, I thank you that though I'm still drinking, I praise you that there is no condemnation anymore. You say, that's dangerous, Colin. Yes, it's dangerous, but it is also powerful because it is bringing you to the place where you started and where you can get back to again, where you trust in him by faith and not trust in him because of the works he has produced in you. So look at this again. The works that you have seen in yourself are not the salvation itself, but the sign of the salvation you have had. So read it again. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised, while still not even responsive to God, even by circumcision, do you see? We Christians, we human beings, are so inclined to take the gifts of God and turn them into our own works by which we are saved. 
Remember that Pharisee who stood before God and said, Father, I thank you, dear God, I thank you that I am, uh, I do this, and I tithe anise and cumin, and I do this and that, and I'm not like this miserable sinner over here. What had happened to that man? Oh, he had become so corrupted by self-sufficiency and pride, he had become, he had come to think that what God had generated in him in giving his tithe was a faith life of response to God. And he had turned that into a work by which he gave himself credit uh, so as to pat himself on the back and assure himself that he had salvation because he was doing things for God. How wrong that is. So let's turn back. Let's get to the right uh, dynamic here. It is so very, very difficult so often to believe that God loves us because he is love, because He is his love is self-generating, because he wants to be loving towards us and merciful to give us joy. We don't think of a God like that. We think of a bargaining God. You believe in me, you do this and that, and I will save you. No, this is not a bargaining God. This is a self-generating love that God has and mercy. And he says, I want to bless you. Would you like to receive it? Thank you for joining me today. Colin Cook here and how it happens. The verse I was uh, referring to, by the way, was Romans 4, verse 11. Read it for yourself. And please, if you would consider a donation, the funds are very low and we need your help. Please send help rapidly if you can. Send it to FaithQuest, P.O. Box 366, Littleton, Colorado, 80160. Or make your donation online at faithquestradio.com. That's faithquest. Radio.com. And thank you for all your little notes. I do appreciate them. They're very, very encouraging. And I'll see you next time. Cheerio and God bless.